We're going to continue our series today, Set Free, and, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, how many know God is faithful? Yeah. And one of the fruit of the Spirit and staying in step with Him is our faithfulness. And Pastor Justin's going to come share. Would you welcome him? Good morning. I'm here to talk to you about faithfulness. It's going to get pretty wild and crazy this morning, so just buckle your seatbelts. Um, feel like I got a reputation or something, right? When the, when the offering message has to preface your sermon, right? You're like, hang on, guys. Like, if you're a first-time visitor, this guy's not the lead pastor. He's on staff, but just know it could get a little bit crazy, right? They go ahead and give you an out, just in case. So... If you would, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to go ahead and get started by reading our scripture. This is our scripture we've been working from uh, for our entire series. This is uh, Galatians 5. Here we go. You ready? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you um, that it is alive and active and sharp, that you cut us in order to heal us, Lord God. I pray that, above all, you would be glorified through uh, the message today, uh, that your people would be encouraged in our spirits, Lord God, and that the name of Jesus would be made famous. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to open up by reading uh, an excerpt from a book I've been uh, reading. Uh, It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This is by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is the, I guess, author slash translator of the Message Bible. So I'm going to go ahead and just read this to you guys. If this this, uh, keeps going this way, I might transition to the rapper mic. So just bear with me in case that happens. Okay. The moment we say no to the world and yes to God, all our problems are solved. All of our questions are answered. All of our troubles are over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. Nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship that has been established by faith in Jesus Christ. We Christians are among the privileged company of persons who don't have accidents who don't have arguments with our spouses. We aren't misunderstood by our peers. Our children do not disobey us. If any of these things should happen, a crushing doubt, a squall of anger, a desperate loneliness, an accident that puts us in the hospital, an argument that puts us in the doghouse, A rebellion that puts us on the defense and a misunderstanding that puts us in the wrong is a sign that something is wrong in our relationship with God. We have consciously or unconsciously retracted our yes to God and God, impatient with our fickle faith, has gone off to take care of someone more deserving of his attention. Sounds crazy, right? 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 But how many of us believe this at times? Not necessarily by what we say, but by how we live. So I want to go ahead and let you guys know that 
The purpose of this message is not to guilt you or remind you of all the areas that you're failing. The Holy Spirit will convict you if, if that's what's needed. But I'm here to encourage you and remind you to continue the race and to cultivate faithfulness. If you're anything like me, throughout this series, right, especially when we got to that patience message, I was like, golly, I am, I am, I am not measuring up. Sometimes when we hear messages, we have a tendency to go super self-reflective and inward, okay? And sin always looks inside. It always points you inward. But Jesus is getting us outside of ourselves to see a bigger picture. And so I'm looking at, at love and all the ways I'm not measuring up and joy and, 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 and being joyful in my circumstances and being patient and being patient. Somebody said something that I came up here and got seven bananas when Pastor Allen, and I was getting judged out in the hallway. I'm like, look, I know where I'm at in my walk, okay? I know where I'm at. Let's just be honest. A couple of you needed seven bananas and was afraid to get them, so you only got the one, okay? But you know what? That's fine, because I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to encourage you to keep running the race, okay? You want me to switch? I knew it. There was rapper coming. I knew it. All the guys at the men's ministry, can we get this one right here? All the guys in the men's ministry make fun of me because my elbow starts to go up. I guess I revert back to some kind of stage performance every time I'm speaking, you know? But sometimes you just got to go with the flow. You got to be like a palm tree. Palm trees are the only trees that can withstand hurricane force winds. You know why? Because they're flexible. So if I could add any Bible verse, which is dangerous, it would be blessed are the flexible for they will not break. Okay? That was not even in the notes, but I'm telling you, sometimes you got to you gotta go off the script, okay? So we're talking about faithfulness this morning. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And we're talking about faithfulness. So I want to give you guys a working definition for faithfulness this morning, okay? Faithfulness is being dependable in our relationship with God and others. It's choosing to be true to our word and following through with our promises. Faithfulness possesses a constancy a devotedness, a fidelity, and steadfastness in all of its interactions. It's being reliable in a world that isn't. Faithful people are not disloyal, and they're not flippant with their commitments. Christians have this under control, right? Yeah. Got this under control. I started looking at some stats of just like everyday, everyday occurrences, okay? The first one I looked up was divorce rates. America totes the highest rate of divorce of any nation at 44 to 50%. Meaning, in America, half of all marriages fail. If you can do math, 50% is half of 100. Okay? Among self-proclaimed Christians, and this is difficult because you don't know the condition of somebody's heart or the reliance of their walk. So because I say I'm a Christian, I don't necessarily know if that's true until you see it walked out. Does that make sense? But among self-proclaimed Christians, the rate is 33 to 35%. Among Christians, that means one-third of all marriages among Christians in America end in divorce. Now, I know there are there's many reasons for divorce that are substantiated. Abuse or infidelity, okay? I'm not advocating for staying in a... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just giving you a statistic. But aside from infidelity and abuse, physical or, or emotional uh, abuse, the number one reason cited for divorce is I'm not happy or I'm not in love. 
Can you believe that? I'm not happy anymore. I'm not in love with you anymore. Gary Thomas writes in his book, Sacred Marriage, what if the purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy? To make you holy. It's no coincidence that God put me with Jessica, who is uniquely and divinely opposed to all my antics in such a beautiful way. And people say all the time, I bet you just laugh all the time being with him. And she's like, yeah, right. He laughs at me. I'm the funny one. Okay. Does he ever, does he ever stop? Like, yeah, the moment he sits down on the couch, he's out. I can't even watch a show with him. But what if God's idea for marriage is to make is not to make you happy? God's not too concerned with our happiness. Happiness is a byproduct. Okay? But we're fickle often with our commitments. I looked at the amount of jobs that we have in America over our lifetimes. Anyone, anybody want to take a guess? It's okay if you speak. How many jobs do you think average Americans have over their lifetime? Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half jobs over the course of your lifetime. Among millennials, it's statistics show that they change jobs every two to three years. Every two to three years among millennials. Among Gen X, it's every six to eight. And then boomers and further on, you guys are like super faithful. It's like 10, 12 years, like first job out of high school, retired at 42. You know what I mean? Like you guys got it together. You know what it's like, right, Fred? You know, right? You're probably still at the same job. Look, had one job, worked his way up, used to shine shoes, now you're like CEO, CFO. Right, you guys got it together. Anybody over 50, man? You guys are the epitome of faithfulness, right? That's right. That's right. Somebody, I knew I was waiting on an amen. I was waiting on an amen. I was waiting on an amen, right? I mean, I looked, so I looked at divorce rates. I looked at, I looked at the number of jobs we have. I looked at how often people switch churches or how often we moved. And the number one thing, the common denominator that I found was that our faithfulness or our lack thereof has become based on the object. We are faithful if we like the object. I am faithful to the girl. I am faithful to the guy as long as I'm in love. I'll be at this job as long as it benefits me. I'll be at that church until somebody hurts my feelings or until they change them worship or until a pastor retires or until they do communion weird. And I'll let you guess which way you think is weird. But think about it. The music or the snacks. What, now, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Because we do a much better job of noticing and pointing out unfaithfulness than we do honoring and recognizing faithfulness. Look, y'all started noticing when that mic messed up and probably two or three of you were like, somebody better get that together. I was one of the two. <laughs> I, this, is, this was not the preferred method this morning, okay? But sometimes just because you want it to be a certain way, I digress. I, this, I told you I came to encourage you not to just break you down this morning. I was at the play on Friday, and there was a couple of loud moments where if you get, to, if you get, if I get any closer to this, you'll hear that. Wah! 
ah, and everybody's like, oh, no. And then you back up, and the performers are, are, I don't, do you call them performers, Will? I feel like I've just offended a third of the theater. Are they, they're performers, okay? They were so gracious. They pushed on. They continued. I knew the people in the law for scrambling. It happened a couple of times. Right, but how many, how often do we look at when something goes wrong or when somebody's not there or when things are not, we, we notice unfaithfulness more than we recognize and honor faithfulness. I saw a video not too long ago and this guy had been at a fast food job for like 30 years and had never missed a day. Fast food job, it was crazy. And as a show of appreciation, they got him a gift bag and there was a $10 gift card to Starbucks there was a lanyard in there. There was a couple of tubes of chapstick, a couple of pins. It was like the, It was like something you would get if we had like a, like a, a, like you had a booth set up for an insurance or something. This man had never missed a day of work, and the way that they showed appreciation or honor was with a few trinkets that meant nothing. So we're talking about faithfulness. And I feel like that God has given me some insight into this fruit as I was preparing and thinking about this and just milling things over in my spirit. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching the other sermons and we're seeing bananas and oranges and all the other fruit. And I'm thinking, God, well, what fruit is, is faithfulness? And God said that the fruit of faithfulness is cultivating the other fruit in your ordinary, everyday Life. Faithfulness is applying every, of, every one of the other fruit every single day. You're cultivating fruit. And God has laid out, he's given us, he's given us some insight into what this looks like in nature. He's also given it to us in his word. There are certain things that you need to cultivate fruit. The first thing you need to cultivate fruit is the seed. The seed. And the seed has everything that it needs to create the desired result. I'm going to say that again. The seed, the word, has everything in it that it needs already to create the desired result. But you can't take that seed and just put it anywhere. Jesus tells us in the parable of sower, the ground in which that seed is sown in is vital. So you have to have a soil or an environment. You can have the, do you know that you can have the right word or the right seed and be in the wrong environment and it will not produce fruit? You can have the right word and be in the wrong place and wonder why, why is this still happening? Why is this not happening in my life? You may be in the wrong environment. You may be in the wrong environment. If you hang out in the barbershop long enough, what's going to happen? You're going to get your hair cut. You're going to get a haircut or a beard trim or a neck shave. Something's going to happen. Eventually, if you keep going to the barbershop, and a lot of us are going to places in our life and we're, we're in relationships in our walk and we wonder why things are happening, but we keep going back to that relationship or that place or that person or that problem and wonder why nothing is changing. Your environment usually wins 100% of the time. Usually wins. Environment is important. The environment in which the seed flourishes and is cultivated is important. 
You also need water and sunlight, filling your life with things that are needed for growth. The word, the word, which is water. When David went and got the stones out of the brook, they were smooth. He didn't grab the rough and jagged stones because they wouldn't fly right. And there were two things. There were two things that made these stones smooth and usable. The first was the constant washing of the water over the top of them. The word constantly washing over you, knocking those rough edges off of your life. The word has a tendency to soften your answer over time. Kevin talked about when you squeeze what comes out. The water will wash those rough edges. And the other thing that will knock those rough edges off is the constant jostling of the rocks against each other. The water washes over them and moves the stones and they rub against each other. And for some of you, I may be 80 grit sandpaper or I may be that 220 polish that's just knocking that last little bit of what you need off so you can fly. I'm here to help you by getting on your nerves. Getting on your nerves is helping you if you have the right perspective. If you have the right outlook. But it's not just word, it's light, it's sunlight, and also adversity. If you never squeeze, how do you know what's going to come out? If you never squeeze, how are you going to know what's going to come out? I've shared with you guys sometimes... Uh, before that one of my favorite um, things I've ever seen in science and nature is a a two-acre biodome out in the desert of Arizona called Biosphere 2. Super cool. Has anybody ever heard of it? Nope, just me. A couple of you nerds out there. In Biosphere 2, it was a two-acre biodome in the middle of the desert, and what they did was they would grow things, and they found that the trees that were in Biosphere 2 grew amazingly tall and amazingly fast. But then these trees fell over for no reason. And what they found was there was no wind. There was no wind in the biosphere. And the wind actually changes the cellular makeup of the tree. It changes the DNA. There was no adversity for the trees so that they could change and become strong. So because there was no adversity, they couldn't even stand up under their own weight, even though they looked strong, even though they looked big, even though we looked the part sometimes. If there's nothing to ever squeeze us, if there's nothing to squeeze us, if there's nobody that parks right next beside you, <laughs> if you were not here for that, it's in our archives. I got squeezed yesterday morning. And what came out was not orange juice or patience or love. It was, it was none of that. And I thought to myself, why? now why? You missed the golden opportunity to display grace to this person. And instead, you reverted back to, I'm not backing down if you're not backing down. I missed it. But the amazing thing about faithfulness is I get another opportunity. I get to get back up. I get to try again because I promise you there's more adversity on its way. It's on the way. It's going to come. So you got to have the word. You got to have light. You got to have the wind, which is adversity. And then one of the most important things is you have to have time. You got to have time. Most often faithfulness is cultivated in private moments as opposed to the public spotlight. I see what you're doing when nobody else sees you, right? 
I don't know what your personal walk with is the Lord, with the Lord. I may say, if oh, I hadn't seen Calvin in a couple weeks, I may need to check on him. But I don't know if he's if he's been doing what he's supposed to do. Does that make sense? And some of you guys got to give yourself a little bit more grace because plants don't grow overnight. Fruit isn't cultivated overnight. You don't, you don't throw the seed out there, bury it, and go back out the next morning and dig it up to see if it's growing or not. Because when you do that, when you dig it right back up, you stop all the growth. You put it in the ground, you water it, you give it light, and you trust the process. We got to trust the process and remember that every one of us are in some phase of process. Some of you guys are a little bit further down the road than I am, and I may be a little bit further down the road than someone else, but doesn't mean you look down your nose at me because of where I'm at in my journey. Okay? It takes time. Come as you are, but don't stay there. Come as you are, but let's not stay there. I was a wreck. When I come to this church, I, I slid in face first like Pete Rose. I did. I just, I was like, I got to be here. Okay? And you know what? They was like, this guy's a nut. Okay, come on. We'll get you on stage eventually. But it might take a decade. But that's okay. But that's okay because it's a process. Cultivating fruit is a process. And let me share something with you guys. I've shared it before, but it's, it's close to me, and it's something I live my life by. There may be things that God's growing in your life that you never see the fruit from. My father planted a peach tree at a house we lived in when I was a kid, and we never ate the first peach. Never ate the first peach. And I trust that right now somebody is out there on this beautiful Sunday morning picking lovely peaches off of it because of the work that he did. But too often we think about faithfulness and we think the reward of me walking this out is for me. And and nine times out of ten, the reward is for someone else. The reward is for someone else. But we get weary and we get tired of walking it out and walking it out because we don't necessarily see the fruit. So there are characteristics of faithfulness in Scripture. I want to look at a couple of examples. The first, uh, the first person I think of when I think of faithfulness in Scripture is, uh, is Noah. The Bible describes him as a faithful and just man in the middle of a perverse generation. This was actually why I named my son Noah, because I wanted him to be a faithful. I wanted him to be an upright man, a righteous man in the middle of a culture that is unfaithful and that is not righteous. So it was a prophetic name blessing that I gave my son. We had a, uh, a speaker come a couple of years ago, uh, Jonathan Evans, and he talked about that how Noah was the exception to the rule. I just shared with you, your environment usually wins. Noah's environment was pretty abysmal. Can you imagine trying to walk out your calling of what God's asking you to do and every day somebody's out there verbally beating you down? You are so dumb. It's going to rain. Has it ever rained? No. What is rain? And you're doing what? And it's going to take you how long? You're an idiot. I'm not getting on that boat. Until, they start, until two by two started happening. And it started getting a little dark in the sky and drizzly. And then they wanted on board. But Noah, in the middle of the criticism, in the middle of the, I don't know, even know if what I'm doing is going to pan out. He stayed faithful. 
He stayed faithful. And there were days, I guarantee you, along the whole hundred and something year journey that he was like, am I really, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Some of us struggle to walk out something for six months, much less a hundred and some odd years. The next, the next person I think of when I think of faithfulness in Scripture is David. And what comes to mind to me is when you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. David had a king's anointing in a shepherd boy situation. David was anointed king and still had to walk out his calling as a shepherd. Some of us have been anointed and called, but yet we're in a certain situation where we're not able to walk in our, our giftings or callings. And we get impatient with God because I know he's called me, but that don't mean he's called you right now. That doesn't mean it's right now. There, is, there, is, there are things that God has to work out in us in order to, to use us in certain parameters. Now, God can use whoever he wants. He had a donkey talk to a guy before. I promise you this, you hit me three or four times in the back, I'm probably going to say something too. If you don't know the story, just look it up. You'll, you'll laugh later. Put that in your pocket. Go home. Google. Read the book. Some of us struggle to be faithful now because we think we know what's later. This is why God rarely reveals the steps to the plan. This is a long obedience in the same direction. Have you ever looked back over a period of time and, and just marveled at, wow, God, this is what God was doing here. And this is why he led me to that job. And this is why I stayed at that job. And this is why so-and-so was brought into my life. And this is why And God rarely says, okay, Phil, here's what's going to happen. In six months, you're going to do this. Then you're going to move from Florida. Then you're going to come up here. Then all this tragic stuff's going to happen. And then you're going to fall. Then you're going to get back up. Then you're going to do this. Gonna, he doesn't lay out the plan. He, he says, your, my, David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It doesn't say he illuminates the whole picture. He says, you show me step by by step, by step, by step. It is a long obedience in the same direction. It is a progressive sanctification that we're walking. And faithfulness is cultivating that day by day. David was faithful to tend the sheep. That was He had been anointed the king of Israel. And he went back out to the field to tend the sheep. And the whole time he was there, he was training. He was writing love songs to God. He was writing poems and worship songs. He was tending the sheep. He was fighting lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Oh my right? <laughs> but these are ordinary, everyday things, right? Like, we only know that now because somebody wrote about it later on. But in the moment, it was just him out there. It was just him and God. It was just him and God, and he was faithful to do what God had asked him to do. And this was training. This was Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, take your ordinary, everyday life. You're waking up, you're walking around, you're eating and sleeping in life, and lay it as an offering before God. Embracing what he does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And when you do that, he will, he will mature you. He will grow you. Take your ordinary, everyday life and lay it down. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when David goes to kill Goliath. Everybody love the story of David and Goliath? Yeah. 
A couple of you guys have read it. It's cool. You can find that in case you're wondering. It's in uh, 1 Samuel 16 through 21, okay? If, as soon as you read it, it'll be your favorite story too. So David is going to kill Goliath, but what I love about the story is David had no intention of killing a giant that day. He was being faithful to what God had asked him to do in the little things. His dad said, hey, I know your brothers are at war doing all the cool stuff. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them some sandwiches. It's fun, right? My brothers are at war fighting, doing the manly stuff, and you want me to Uber eat, DoorDash them some cheese. <laughs> Think about it, right? They're doing the important, they're, they're doing the, the important stuff. I just need you to take them some food so they can keep doing the important stuff, right? And then David gets there, and Goliath has punked out everybody for weeks. Seriously, this is what happens. I read my Bible a little bit different. Vernacular is not the same if you read King James, but this is what happened. He gets there to bring them some cheese and, and bread, and Goliath has called everybody out, and David's like, are y'all going to let him punk you out like that? He doesn't have a covenant with God, and we do, and you're letting him talk to you like this? Who is this? And then they was like, all right, well, let's, all right, you're going to fight him? All right, cool, nobody else will. And so they've tried to put the armor on him that doesn't fit, and then they was like, this is not going to work. And then he goes down, and he gets the smooth stones out of the brook, and he sinks one inside of Goliath's head, then takes the sword and cuts Goliath's head off. It had to have happened on a Tuesday. Now, it's not biblical. When we get there, we'll find out, and you'll look at me from across the room, and I'm like, told you, told you, Okay. It happened on a Tuesday. You know why I think that it happened on a Tuesday? Because it's a regular day. It's a regular day. It couldn't have been a Friday or a Saturday. I mean, it could have. But I think it was a Tuesday because it was normal stuff. It was just doing the everyday thing. It was getting up and going to work. And when you got to work, there was somebody there that needed prayer. And you had no idea that you were going to stand in the gap for somebody and kick back the forces of darkness because they don't have a covenant with God like you do. It's the ordinary, everyday moments where faithfulness is cultivated. It happens in the, the, the seemingly insignificant affairs of our lives. So David goes and he kills Goliath. Everything's cool. Life is good. Ladies are dancing, right? He's, he's, he's working for Saul. Now he got a job out of it, right? Remember, he's still anointed king of Israel, but he's not the king. He's still anointed, but he's not the king. He's walking it out. Life is good. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, Saul tries to kill him. And he goes on the run. A lot of stuff happens in between. But God did not forget him. So he's on the run. He goes inside of this temple. He's looking for, he's got no weapons. He's got, he's got no food. He's hungry. He's looking for stuff. And he says, do you got any weapons here? And the priest is like, as a matter of fact, we've got the sword that, that you killed Goliath with, and we've just had it put in the back wrapped up that you didn't know about. The same exact sword that I killed Goliath, my sword, because I took it from him. And he was like, yeah, we got that. And you can have it. And then you can go defend yourself. Sometimes it's not necessarily about that moment. It's about what God's going to do down the line. David had no idea he was going to need that sword. He had no idea he was going to kill a giant. But as he walked it out, as he walked out his calling, as he just did the next right thing, did the next right thing, God used it 
God's preparing us for things that we have no clue about. He's preparing us for things we have no clue about. And you know what's crazy about these two guys that that were faithful? Neither of them had the Holy Spirit inside of them. Neither. There's a story I love that said, this guy, he, he died, he went to heaven, and he saw all his heroes there. He saw David, and he saw Moses, he saw Noah. He saw all the guys, and he was like, oh my gosh, what was it like to kill a giant? Or what was it like to walk on water? What was it like to do, to do all these great things? And they said, what was it like to have God living inside of you? What was it like to have the exact same spirit? Not kind of like the spirit of God. The actual spirit of God living inside of me. The same one that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. And if two guys that that fail mightily often can walk this out, then how much more the Holy Spirit living inside of me can have me get back up off the mat and pick myself up and dust me off and keep walking this out day by day see faithfulness is when i when i mess up when i'm not patient with my spouse or my children when i don't operate out of love faithfulness gives me another chance another step and i get back up and i walk and i walk and i walk and i walk and tomorrow i go at it again how many of us have had a great moment i was patient at breakfast this morning did really good. Didn't spaz out. I knew we were going to church. So I was chill. But boy, lunch, dinner, bedtime, all that other stuff in between. Missed it. Missed it. But we get a chance to keep going. We get a chance to keep going. So I began with a working definition for faithfulness. I want to share it again and remind you that when we're set free, we take our commitment to God and others seriously. Faithfulness is being dependable in our relationship with God and others. It's choosing to be true to our word and following through with our promises. Faithfulness possesses a constancy, a devotedness, fidelity, and steadfastness in all its interactions. It's reliable in a world that isn't faithful. People are not disloyal. They're not flippant with their commitments. This does not mean that you guys become yes men because Noah's anointed too. So faithfulness doesn't mean you say yes to everything. It means that you keep your yes and you keep your no. And God gives us the wisdom when to say it. This means that we are intentional about cultivating the fruit of faithfulness by learning from the one who is always faithful and applying it to our ordinary, everyday lives. I think the worship team, I saw a couple of them kind of moving this way, so you guys can come out. So as I've been studying and preparing, I've been asking God, well, what does this look like in everyday life? Because I'm, I'm sharing about walking it out in your ordinary, everyday life, and I'm like, God, what? I don't even know what this... Like, what does this look like? Faithfulness. He said, just look at what I've walked you through the last six months. So me and my wife have been on a foster care journey. Me and Jess have been on a foster care journey. She felt God stir her heart in um, 2020. And we started the journey of, of foster care approval and all the courses and the classes and we had no idea what it was going to look like but we just did it we just did what we were supposed to we did what God put in front of us 
And so we did all of our training and we had one bad experience. And so we shut her home down and then we fostered an actual family for a few months. And then after that family left our home, we, we talked about it. It was like, are we, is this journey over? Are we done? And we, we felt like, no, like, you don't, you got to be faithful to what God's called you to, even when things go bad sometimes. So we, we got our certifications back up to speed. We did everything we were supposed to. And then we got a respite care for three little kids. And I swear, I thought I had never parented before. They came to my house and I was just stuck. I was like, I don't, I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. I didn't. I felt so inadequate. Like I'd never parented a kid before. And I have four kids. Bonus kids at that. Kids that weren't mine biologically. I'd done this before. I had tended sheep before. Are you hearing me? But this was different. I felt heavy. I felt inadequate. I felt like I didn't have what it was going to take that these kids would need. So I come in the next morning. I told Jess, you know, I don't think this is for us. And I went in my office and I listened to some worship music. And I listened to this same bridge and this same chorus. I just, you ever just hit repeat and you, you can't, you get in a loop. You get in a worship loop and you're like, I don't know why, but I can't, I can't get away from this word. And so that happened for about 30 minutes before we came in here and had staff communion that morning. And I want you to know, the Pastor Kevin opened up the communion with the very phrase that I'd had on repeat. And the very scripture that I had been crying over that morning, he came out and used for communion. And I, I'm a puddle. I'm laying face down in the middle of communion and all the other staff and elders are looking at me like, he's having a moment. And that's okay to have a moment. Don't be too proud to have a moment. So I had a moment. And in that moment, I felt the love of God say, follow me into the unknown. Would you follow me to the, into the mystery? Would you follow me without knowing what it's going to look like? Can you be faithful when it doesn't make sense, when you got no clue what's about to happen? And I said, yeah, I'll go. I'll follow you, God. So I thought it was going to be for those three kids. So we told the lady, hey, I know you don't have a long-term solution, but I feel like God's telling me to put my yes on the table. So I said, yes, it didn't work out. Didn't work out. But God didn't have that them for me. He wanted that yes for what would come later. So we got a call on a Tuesday. <laughs> swear, swear, swear. 10.30 in the morning. Hey, guys, we got four kids. Four. One, two, three, four kids. They're all brothers and sisters. Would you take them? I said, what's the other option? Well, we'll split them up. No. Nah. No. And I felt, I felt God say, will you follow me? You said yes. You don't know what it's going to look like. Will you say yes? So I said, come on, bring them all. All four of them. We don't even have room for them, but come on. Sometimes you don't have room for what God's going to do. But he'll make a way. He'll make room. Are you hearing me? He'll make room. When your yes is on the table, God will make the room you need because he can do above and beyond all that we ask or think. It's what the word tells me. So I'm washing myself with that word and I was like, oh, this is great. For the first two weeks, it was absolute chaos. It's terrible. It's horrible. 
I had a breakdown, a meltdown in the Home Depot parking lot. I'm just crying my eyes out, texting all my buddies. I can't do this. I don't know what, to, I don't know how to do this. And then I wiped my tears, got up, and I kept walking. And I kept walking, and I kept loving on these kids, and we, we keep pouring into them. And I'm their dad, and I'm a father to the fatherless the same way he was to me, because I was an orphan, and he brought me into his family. So the other day, I'm sitting there. It's probably a Tuesday. Actually, I think it was Tuesday of this week. Tired. I've been out there working. I got sawdust all over me. And there's this little five-year-old blondie sitting on my lap, wrestle fighting with me, worship music playing on the TV, and I'm just counting my blessings. And I feel the love of God saying, this makes me happy. This gives me joy. And I'm like, what? Give, what? What am I doing? He said, you're just doing what I asked you to do. You're loving these kids, and you loving them makes me happy. You doing the little things. Nobody saw that. It was a moment in my living room. Everybody else was gone. It was me, the little girl, and God, the God of heaven and earth. And he said, I see you. And he sees you when nobody else is giving you the pat on the back, when nobody else is saying, attaboy. He sees you, and he sees your faithfulness. And when you feel like you've missed it, you get back up. You get up and you keep walking and you pull yourself up and you say, not today, Satan. I'm not going to lay down. A righteous man falls how many times? And he gets back up. And so faithfulness is getting back up. It's walking it out. It's the ordinary everyday things. It's going to work. It's, it's loving the kids. It's praying with your spouse. It's admitting when you're wrong. And God has grace to cover it all. This is the Holy Spirit in our lives, cultivating faithfulness day by day, teaching us to walk in His character. Because of His faithfulness towards us, we learn from Him and we walk it out. And I'll close with this and then we'll worship the one who is always faithful. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So I want to encourage you. If you fall down, to get back up. If you've been impatient, get back up. If you're struggling to find joy in your life because things have been falling apart around you, get back up. If you feel like you've been unkind and unloving, get back up. And so as we worship, allow the Lord to pick you up and dust you off. Say, I'm with you, I see you, and let's walk. Let's walk. So we're going to worship together. If you need prayer, there's going to be brothers and sisters down here to pray with you. But no matter what, get back up.
Let's worship.